Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Freedom Church, so glad you're here, and I can just say that I'm thankful to be part of this community. You know, there are so many people that are involved in our dream teams every week that are that are making a difference, that are walking into their God-given purpose, and this week specifically, we truly lived out our value. One of our values is to believe and invest in the next generation. So we were believing and investing in the next generation of some students that some people have forgotten. I'm so thankful for Sammy Joe and everybody from the Williamson Juvenile Detention Center that went out there on the 4th of July on a hot day and they served they gave up their morning and they shared the love of Christ and every time we go one of the students says why do you guys do this and I, every time we go everybody says thank you thank you thank you for coming if you want to be involved in that these kids need mentors they need somebody to pour into them they need somebody to walk alongside of them they might have been forgotten by society but they have not been forgotten by God and we want to show them they've not been forgotten by us talk to uh, one of our guests go to the guest services ask them how you can be involved and we want to get you connected if you have a heart to invest in the next generation also not only we invest in kids outside of our church we invested with kids in our church you guys gave you served you prayed i want you to watch some highlights from this year's youth camp check out what your investment has done watch the screen i think that was pastor oc on the bike right there no i'm just kidding <laughs> Man, I, I want to go next year. I'm going to change my birth certificate. Man, I think my white hair will give me away, though, but I definitely want to. Thank you, Pastor O.C., Jeremy, the team that went, uh, Aretha, my car, uh, Ashley, and I forget who, who everybody. That went. But here, let, let, me, let me just say thank you for our team. But specifically, I want to give a shout-out for Sonia for driving him out there. But we had an MVP who went above and beyond, and his name is Gene Grubbs. Let me tell you about Gene. Gene says, I want to be involved in camp, but I don't want to go that whole week because I, I can't make that, but he was able to drive up on Monday. He drove all the way to camp, then drove back, and then on Friday he got up, drove to camp, came back. He was loading and serving. But this church is built on people like Gene Grubb. Gene, thank you so much. Thank you for loving our kids and investing in our kids and just investing your time. Thank you. Though, let me tell you, those are the true heroes of our church, is our dream team members, and we love them so much. So this morning we're starting a series, I Gotta Know. And as soon as my daughters could talk, they had so many questions that they had to know the answers of. And it usually started like this. Daddy, can I ask you a question? And how many of you guys know kids come up with some crazy questions? Here, I, I wrote down, here's some que crazy questions my kids have asked me over the years. Like, Daddy, why do I have to go to school? Well, you want to make a good living, right? One of this, what color is Jesus? Well, he was Jewish, man. He, where, do baby comes, where do babies come from? You can ask your mama on that one. One of the big questions I asked, Dad, can I trade my sister for a brother? Hey, if, if I'm in on that if your mom's in on that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Another question they ask is, can fish drown? No, but your dad can. But one of my favorite questions they ever asked is, like, Dad, in the olden days, was everything in black and white? <laughs> I'm not that old. We had the tube TV, not black and white TV. But, but my girls also ask some pretty deep questions once in a while. Like, here's some of the kind of deeper questions they kind of ask. Like, Dad, where do thoughts come from? Or, why do I have two eyes if I only see one thing? Why did bad words get invented if we're not allowed to say them in the first place? Good question, right? And then who's decide, who decides whether they're bad words or not? Yeah, so... 
think Pastor Joel decides whether they're bad words or not. <laughs> but the, the biggest question that they've ever asked is that, when I die, how can I know like for sure, like for sure that I'm going to heaven? That's kind of a big question, right? It's the most important question in life that you'll never answer. I think it's a question that we've all wrestled with. And I heard a joke relating to this question that I think will shed some light to it. It's about a taxi driver and a preacher. The taxi driver dies and he goes to the pearly gates of heaven and St. Peter looks at him and he opens up his big book and he lets him in and he says, welcome to heaven, pick up the keys to your new Ferrari you can drive around in while you're in heaven. And the preacher's like, oh, oh heck yeah. If a taxi driver gets a Ferrari, how am I going to get hooked up in here? So he comes up, say, Peter looks at the preacher, and he looks at his book, okay, I'll let you into heaven, but before you get into heaven, I want you to go pick up a skateboard so you can get around in heaven. The preacher's shocked, like, man, I've devoted my life to the ministry. I'm a man of the cloth. You gave the taxi driver a Ferrari. I should rate higher than him. Why do I get a, ta why do I get a skateboard? Peter responds to him, looks at him sternly, said, this is heaven up here, buddy. We're interested in results and only results. When you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. You know, <laughs> take home. If you want to make a big difference in eternity, sign up for Uber, right? <laughs> Just kidding. But this morning as we start this series, I got to know, we'll be answering the most important questions of faith. And we're going to start this series by answering the most important question of all. How can I know for sure I'm saved and going to heaven? And to answer that question, I want you to look, look at your Bible and go to the book of 1 John. 1 John is all about proof. It describes to us what the life of a true believer truly looks at. It tells us how do we know if we're really saved. And if you're new to church culture, if you've never heard the word, saved means that you're at peace with God. So that's what it means. Saved means you're at peace with God. So the, que the question, how can I know for sure I'm saved, is one that I've struggled with over the years in a large part of my faith. Like from the time I went to VBS, from the time I was 15, I was saved constantly. I probably hold the unofficial record for the Guinness World Book of Record for being saved the most times. I've been saved in three different states. Every time the preacher gave a chance to respond by accepting Jesus, I'd raise my hand and I'd say the sinner's prayer. I've been saved at a VBS. I've been saved at a youth camp. I've been saved at a morning service. I've been saved in an evening service. I've been saved in a midweek service. I've even been saved man, in front of the TV as Billy Graham was giving that altar call. And I just wanted, this is something you want to be serious, right? Like you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven. That's not the kind of thing you want to be wrong about it. And I've struggled for years about the assurance of my salvation. And I'm not the only one. I guarantee that there are people, even this morning, in this room, that you're struggling with the very same thing. You want to know for sure if you're saved, but you just can't figure it out. No matter how many times you pray the prayer, the doubts come back, and you always ask yourself questions like, was I sorry enough for my sin? Did I repent enough? Did I understand grace enough? How, how do I know if the prayer really worked? Did I feel bad enough? Was I emotional enough? And I didn't have the heebie-jeebies like they said. Like, I, I want to watch, watch this story, and I want you to have, watch the story of people in our church that were talking through this process of how they kind of had these same struggles. Well, how do they know that they were really saved as they kind of worked up through Christian faith and in church? So watch the screens, and let's listen into a conversation of people in our church as they're discussing this same topic. Check out the screens. What were some of the things you remember that just you were freaked out to get saved? Um, I was part of the praise and worship group, and I couldn't sing unless I had a skirt and pantyhose on. Every Seriously. Sunday. Every Sunday. And God forbid a woman wear pants. Yes. Um, like that was, you're not saved if you're wearing pants. Seriously. 
No. What about you, OC? I mean, you. Oh man. It's got to be similar. Literally, you talking to your buddy, or they bring a toy. You get the flick in the back of the head. You get moved to the front row. You got to be sitting in the front row. And, That's right. And afterwards, you get the question. So, what did the pastor talk about? And if you don't remember the altar call, oh, hey, guess what? We're getting home. You're listening to the recording. Yeah. Yeah. Was, Someone better was, go up there to get saved yeah. today. Yeah. Or else the, the pastor's not going to stop preaching. Exactly. you got to raise your hand every altar call. Yeah. And, and yeah. don't forget to spit out your gum. Oh, every time. I think my mom also used like, fear, like the fear tactics on me. Like, did you go outside after I told you not to go outside? Yes. I don't know if you're gonna be saved. You might want to go ask God for forgiveness because, oh, snap. like, oh, it wow. was real. Like, your salvation was being hung yeah, over you. By your behavior. <laughs> by your <laughs> I'm gonna take that salvation away. Every, every church growing up had a left behind skin. Mm -hmm. Yes. I remember. You guys oh, had to. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, I remember after watching some of these skits, you would. You know, I remember you would be driving and you were scared to get in a car wreck because yeah. God forbid if he died, were you going to be saved? Mm -hmm. yep. And 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 there was just there were so many doubts that you would have in your mind of just am I saved? Am I saved? Because I, you know, yes, I cheated on this test or I did something yeah. inappropriate. You just thought you were as you're watching the you know cheating on the test, you feel like you're burning in hell. But it's just it's that feeling that I guess you know, growing up just made you want to, every time they, they made an altar call or asked, you know, are you saved? Do you want to recommit sure. your life? Are you sure? You know, you just raise your hand every single time. No. Cause you're like, you start thinking and what did I do? Oh, I, I, I did this wrong. Did I'm surely I, I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to be saved again. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think it was a, a set defined moment where I can say this is exactly when it happened. Mm -hmm. It was more of like, as my relationship with with Jesus grew and, and that I began to understand more about his his grace and the fact that we don't have to want to go to heaven because we're afraid to go to hell. It's because we want to be more like Jesus. We want that's to good. be with Jesus. Yeah. That's, 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 that's right. Yeah. Like now it's not a matter of, now there's a confidence in your salvation. And I think it's, it's really the more that you get to know Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel yeah. that Maybe that was the, the problem was there was, we probably under-indexed on learning about Jesus and learning about his forgiveness and probably over-indexed on uh, everything else yeah. and sin and, and, and death and all the punishments that, that come with it. Now, a recent uh, Barna study showed that like 51% of Americans have prayed the sinner's prayer to be saved even though half of them have no regular attendance of any kind in church or have lifestyles or worldviews that in no way differ from the outside the Christian faith. So, like, how do we truly know? How, how can we know for sure? Most people, when they hear that they need to be saved by Jesus, they say, I've been saved. Okay, I've done that. I prayed the prayer. I filled out the card. I raised my hand. I, I think I'm good with God. But here's another thing. The Bible teaches us this. There are a lot of people who have said religious prayers and are involved in religious activities and they think they're going to heaven and they're actually not. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, his most, most, most popular sermon of all time, he says there is a large group of people that are headed into eternity uh, assured of a salvation that they don't actually possess. And on Judgment Day, he says this. These are the words of Jesus, those red letter words. He says, he says Lord, Lord. Did we not do this? Did we not go to church? Did we not did we not do all these things? And Jesus is going to say this. Depart from me. I never knew you. 
So this is a very difficult, tough question that we see through the scripture. How, how do we know? There are several things that people use to assure themselves of their salvation that aren't legitimate reasons found in scripture. Some people think that going to church makes you a Christian. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Believe me, I walked into several gyms, and I don't have six-pack, and I don't have abs. You know, I wish it would. I wish I'd go to a gym, and I would be ripped, but it doesn't work. But it does work. If you walk into McDonald's, you could get a gut, though. That does work. I don't know. Some people think that if they pray some sort of magical prayer that makes them a Christian. Let me say something that's extremely controversial. Praying a prayer doesn't make anyone a Christian. I'll say it again. Praying a prayer doesn't make anyone a Christian. Prayer don't save, prayers don't save us. We are saved when we repent and we believe the gospel. You can express that repentance and faith when you pray, but it's the repentance and faith behind the prayer that saves us. And there's so many people that have come up and they've said a prayer and they've been assured of a salvation that they don't really possess. That's a big challenge and a big thing I feel as a pastor sometimes. People say, how can I know for sure? People sometimes use the fact that they're good people, they're moral people, but how many guys know none of us are really good and moral in God's eyes? Like, I always said good, good moral people are like people that are an in American Idol. Everybody thinks they're amazing until they start singing and like, oh, somebody told them. It's like, it's like, and that's the way we think. We think we're good till we ultimately see who is the epitome of good, and that's Jesus. Look at his scale. Don't lie. Have you ever been honest every single time? Don't cheat. Don't commit adultery. Who of us in here has not looked at somebody lustfully in our entire lives? Oh, hey, get to murder. Get to murder. Right, get to murder. And Jesus says, if we have hate towards someone in our heart that we've murdered, every one of us breaks the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you, but if you get a 10% on the test, you're not going to pass. So these are some different things. Maybe we feel guilty about our sin. Our sin. And those sometimes are things that people look to for salvation, but they're not really things that are proof that somebody is really saved. So the goal of this message is twofold. It's to comfort those who are unnecessarily troubled about their salvation, and it's also to trouble those who are unjustifiably comforted with a salvation they don't actually possess. So turn with me to 1 John this morning. John summarizes the entire book in chapter 5, verse 13. I, I remember when I first read this book, it changed my life. It pumped me up. It gave me so much comfort. And my prayer all week is it does the same thing for you. Let's look at it. 1 John verse, verse 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, the word know, that you have eternal life. You know what that word know means in the Greek? No. For certain, we can be certain about our salvation. Here's one of the most powerful truths you'll ever learn. God wants you to be, sure, be assured of heaven and his love for you. That's why John wrote this letter. He doesn't want us to walk around having a panic attack, wondering if we're in right standing with God. Christianity is not a fear-based religion where God is dangling the carrot in front of you, saying, you better act better, you better act better, kind of like uh, Sammy Joe said her mom did. <laughs> Hopefully her mom's not listening to the podcast. But, you know, just like right there saying, hey, you better act better, or God's going to get back at you. God's not like Donald Trump in the old reality show, remember, Apprentice, where they come in, they give a report, and if you're not doing well, he says, you're fired. So God's not ready to fire us like that. God wants you to know that he loves you. And the only way we'll develop a deep love for God is when we're sure of his love for us. True love only grows out of security. When you make someone behave by threatening them, by coercing their behavior, you will never capture their hearts. God is not about changing your behavior. God wants to change your heart. And the love of God in you grows from the assurance of the love of God for you. 
And the apostle, the apostle John tells us about an analogy that Jesus used to his disciples before he went to heaven that communicated the assurance of God's love for him. In John 14, he tells his disciples that they are his bride. No man who has ever married or engaged wants his bride to feel like he's not committed to her. And here, Jesus, what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 13, John is repeating in 1 John chapter 5. Let's look what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3. Again, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you will be there also. He's giving them an assurance that he loves them and he's coming back for them. And I want you to notice the language that, that Jesus uses. This is wedding language. When I first got married to Jennifer, she was still a student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas. And I had become a youth pastor in northern New Mexico. It was 12 miles away. And the hardest thing to do was when I went to visit her is to say goodbye. And I, the last thing I ever wanted her to doubt was my love for her. Because I loved her so much and I wanted her to feel secure in her love. I wanted her to know that I loved her. And so what I did is this. I communicated it to her. I wanted her to know that my commitment to her was for sure because I don't want the advances of another man to come and take her away. So I wrote her letters. I called her. I put a big fat ring on it. If you like what you see, you got to put a ring on it. It cost me months and months to save all the money that I had to put my down payment on that for that ring on it. And we both knew that if things went crazy, she was keeping that rock, you know? <laughs> and so I made her all these assurances that I loved her. That's how God works with us. He knows that we can never say no to the world unless we're assured of his love for us. And that's the gospel. The gospel is this. The assurance of God's love for us has a greater power to produce virtue and love in our hearts than the threats of the law could ever do. See, during the time of uh, the Reformation and time of Martin Luther, the Catholic Church, the, the Church of Power back then in the Reformers' day believed that people would obey if they threatened them with harsh consequences. Luther called this the damnable doctrine of doubt. And what Martin Luther did to start the Reformation and break people off the, the Catholic Church, he went and he put the 95 theses on the, on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral to let them know these are things that need to change and because you cannot coerce people to believe by just threats. And Luther said this. He said that the fear and judgment only produces a surface level of obedience. Underneath that thin veneer of obedience will rush a river of fear, pride, and self-interest. And the only way to develop real love for God is to have fear removed. What Luther is doing, he is quoting 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And when John said this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And then in verse 19, he says this, we love him. Why? Because we're commanded to, because we're threatened with threats of hell if we don't know. We love him because he first loved us. See, God's love and acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin, not the reward from liberating ourselves. And one of the things that we got to know how to walk this Christian life, you got to know that you are loved and cared for by God. That's the gospel that God... That God's grace does in our heart what the law could never do. It's the goodness of God, Paul wrote, that leads us to repentance. So here's, here's great news for you. If you're struggling with your walk with God, 
If there's a sin you can't break, is there a, if there's a habit that's holding you back, you don't need more sermons, you don't need more self-discipline, you don't need more laws. You need to experience the radical, amazing power of Jesus Christ. It's what the Puritans called the expulsive power of a brand new affection. Because when you grab a hold of that love that is so powerful, it'll break every grip of sin on your life. And it's unless you understand that love that you can truly walk out the true love of God. See, it's God's love for you that is the seedbed for yourself, for your spiritual growth. If you don't have the assurance of salvation, your spiritual life will never take off. So here's what Paul, this is what John is telling us. God wants us to know for sure that we're saved. It's good news, right? But you didn't answer the question, Benito. How can I know for sure if I'm really saved? John answers that question throughout his letter in 1 John. He gives us signs and proof in the life of a believer that shows us that we've truly experienced salvation. Let's look again at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to give you three ways to know that you're saved. First one is this. How do I know I'm saved? I have placed my hopes for heaven entirely on Jesus Christ. John says, believe in the name of the Son of God. To believe in the name of the Son of God means that you rest in the account of. Think about it like this. If you're invited by a really rich person to stay in this awesome resort and hotel, they fly you into this exclusive resort. Man, even the toilets are gold-plated. It is baller shot collar. It is nice. And you're not going to go in there and you're not going to pull out your credit card because most of us, our credit card will bounce, man, if we've got to... When you check in, you're going to say, I'm under the name of so-and-so, which means don't charge my credit card. I'm under this rich person's name. And when you believe in the, same, in the name of the Son of God, you aren't trying to earn heaven by your good deeds, by church attendance, by a moral bank account, by trying to be a better person. You are dependent on the account of Jesus Christ, which was given to us by grace through the cross. See, all hopes in entering heaven is not our, our performance. It's what Jesus did for us. When I ask somebody, are you, a question, are you a Christian? Are you wanting to really follow God? The number one question I always get all the time is that they say this, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm going to church right now. When somebody says that, I know that person hasn't truly experienced the gospel because they're still thinking that Christian is a title that they live up to. But a Christian is not something that you live up to. It's not something that you earn. It's something that Jesus earned for us. When somebody asks me, Benito, how can you know for sure that you're saved? This is what I say. The reason I can know for sure that I'm saved, I know that I'm saved, is because I trust totally entirely what Jesus did on the cross for me. I am never good enough. My sin falls so short. But Jesus lived the life I should have lived, and he died the death I should have died, and now I rest in his account. And because of that, I can be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. 1 John 1, 9 says this, that we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the first question for you this morning. Is your hope for salvation in heaven resting on Jesus alone as your Savior or your good works or good deeds? See, it's not a past prayer, but it's your present posture of faith and trust in Jesus that saves you. The second way that we can know that we're saved is found in 1 John 5.18. We know that everyone who has been, circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, that word born, born again, who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Here's what we learn. 
We know that we're saved if we have a brand new nature. When you trust Jesus, the Bible says that you're born again. You have this new nature with new desires. See, you don't become a Christian by doing right things. You become a Christian for sure when you start desiring the right things. You don't stop sinning because you're scared of threats, but you stop sinning because you have a new nature with new desires. I never truly understood this. For a long time, I tried really, really hard to be a Christian, but no matter what, I kept wanting to do all these things. But I remember after June 22nd, 1992, the day I came to faith in Christ, everything changed. Something happened inside of me. I was new. I've told you before, my friends would always tell me when I became a Christian, Benito, now that you're a Christian, yeah, you can't have any fun anymore. You can't drink and get drunk anymore. You can't party. You can't sleep around. Man, you can't cuss and do all those fun things. I would tell them, it's not that I can't do those things. I can do whatever I want to do. I don't want to do those things anymore. You don't understand. God has given me a brand new desire. I don't desire to do the things that I used to do. Right now, the number one desire I have is I desire to be like Jesus. I desire to please Jesus. Everything inside of me wants to honor Him. And if those desires are in your heart, you know that Jesus is changing you. Let me give you an example I've given you before. This is the youth pastor in me. Come back. But uh, uh, imagine in front of me. Just imagine vividly. Close your eyes. Imagine right now in the front, right by Livy's feet, there is this big old pile of just vomit with warm hot dogs and everything just right there in the front. Just, 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 it's just gross. I would not have to get the security team to come up. Okay, guard that. Guard the vomit. Make sure. I won't have to threaten you not to come and lick the vomit. Unless you're a dog, you'd want to come and eat a half-eaten hot dog. It'd be appealing to you. But I would not have to put a security team. I wouldn't have to have to threaten you to come and eat that. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. God doesn't change us by threats. He changes us by giving us a new nature. And one of the things when God begins to work and use the old things that you used to love, you don't love anymore. Things like hatefulness and pride and greed and lust and dishonesty don't become wrong to you. They become disgusting to you. You're like, man, I, I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I used to live like that. I can't believe those are things that were coming out of me. It's disgusting. So that's the way you know. Is God moving in your life? Are you truly saved? Well, sin all of a sudden, things that you used to love, all of a sudden you begin to hate because God has done a work of brand new desire. That is a miracle. It's the new birth. It's being born of God. Don't get me wrong. We'll still struggle with sinful attitudes and actions because we have an old sinful nature in us, but we have a whole brand new appetite. When we go backwards in those sins, which we all do, God, remember what it says? First John says he protects us by the Holy Spirit, by convicting us and repenting. When you sin as a Christian, you're no longer comfortable in your sin. Here's a principle. It's not in your notes, but I want you to write it down. My new nature is not about sinless perfection. It's about a brand new direction. I'll say it again. My new nature is not about sinless perfection. It's about a brand new direction. It's like the difference between a pig and a sheep. When a pig gets out there, I've told you this, they love the mud. They eat all the junk in the mud. Pigs are the nastiest, gross animal. That's why I hate ham. It's disgusting. You know, right there, if you've ever eaten the, man, pig, they're nasty. They're just playing in the mud. They love the mud. They eat all this gross stuff. But if you ever get a sheep and it gets into a pig's pen in the mud, psh, the sheep will get out there. It'll shake itself in there. It'll shake it off. It wants to get clean. And it says, I don't belong here anymore. Get me out of here. 
Take me to a place. Clean me. And that's who you are as a Christian. As a Christian, though sometimes you fall in the mud, you don't play in the mud, you don't enjoy in the mud anymore. And you get up and you say, I don't belong here. Clean me up. And if you are feeling that right now in your life, thank God because that is God's spirit inside of you doing the work of salvation in you. John says it like this. In chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, he says this, we lie. We lie. And we do not practice the truth. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means we don't willingly, defiantly, intentionally pursue sin anymore. John says that you cannot love Jesus in darkness at the same time. If there's a sin that you're pursuing, if there's a sin that you can't let go of, is there a sin that doesn't feel gross to you, you need to be very concerned about your salvation. If you justify it, it's a good chance that you have not experienced the gospel because when you've experienced the gospel and you see sin, you're like, man, how could I embrace something that put my Savior to death? That put my Savior on the cross. I want to let go of it. Here are three lies church people believe about salvation. Number one, many people believe that they can be saved without repenting. You can't believe without repenting. When Jesus started off his ministry in the gospel of Mark, the oldest gospel, he started saying, what, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Peter started the church in Acts chapter 2, he preached a message of repentance. The Greek word repentance is the word metoneia. It means a change of mind, a change of behavior, a change of action. That means that when Jesus comes into your life, there has to be change. If you say a prayer and there's no change, then you have not truly experienced the gospel. It's like me getting married to Jennifer and trying to maintain all kinds of other relationships with other girls. Say, Jennifer, that's all right. Hey, they're just my side pieces. You're still my number one. You know, she's going she's gonna to slap me upside the head. She's going to drop elbows on me. Ain't going to happen. And what God is saying, hey, I'm God, I'm holy, I'm all by myself, and I don't want any other side pieces. I want the whole thing. That's how God is. Number two. The third lie we believe is we believe that we can be saved and still be casual about sin. Church doesn't really talk about sin, but Jesus sure did a whole lot. If you got something in your life and you know it's wrong, and you say, I'll just deal with it later, you know nobody's perfect. The Bible says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That when you're a Christian, you want to be right with God. You want to be right with God. Some people, this is the guy who casual about sin, who looks at pornography regularly. He gets drunk on the weekends, but yet he still wants God on the side. One of the big concerns I have in our culture is we treat God like a salad bar today, like never before. I'll pick and choose what I want. But how many of you guys know if your God doesn't disagree with you, he's not God at all? So many times I read the Bible and I'm like, no, I wish I could tear out that page. I wish I could white that out. But no, God just smacks me upside the head. We cannot be casual in our relationship with God. You cannot know Jesus as Lord and not forsake what God has forbidden. John said it like this in 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Okay, this is a good and challenging message all at the same time. Like John is like, oh, I love you. God loves you. But boom, boom, boom. Hey, you're going to walk in that love? He gives you hugs and punches all at the same time. And number three. 
is just praying a prayer with no life change. Let me say something that, man, I'm so concerned about. Coming up and raising your hand and saying a prayer does not save you. And so many times we give people a false assurance that raising your hand gives you salvation. No, what changes you is repentance and faith in Jesus. So Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent, change. And let me tell you, you cannot change by yourself. You need a new nature. You need to turn to him. So finally, here's the third way that we know that we're saved. It's powerful. This is the way that you know that you're saved. Your prayers are answered. You're walking around and you're like, man, God is moving. He's answering my prayers all the time. Look at 1 John 5, 14. He said this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will. Now that's important. His will. He will hear us. And if we know that he hears us. In whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. One of the main reasons that we know that we're Christians is that God is answering our prayers. That you see the evidence of God in your life and how he responds to your prayers. And why does God answer your prayers? Because it's so important what John says, that you're no longer asking out of your selfish desires. You're not asking for pores. You're not asking for selfish things. You're beginning to ask for the will of God. And there's nothing that's more important than somebody who lines himself up with the will of God. Because when you walk in the will of God, you will see the purpose in the plan of God. And this is what I want you to know. God wants you to walk in your life. He wants to come inside of you. He wants you to come down. And he wants you everywhere that you look to look at answered prayer. The answered prayer started to come. God begins to move in you. How many of you guys want to have a walk with God where everywhere you look, that's an answered prayer, that's an answered prayer, that's an answered prayer. And everywhere you look, God is moving. That's how much God loves you. And I look at my life, by God's grace, I can see answered prayer everywhere. I remember saying this, saying it this week, Lord, use me as a little kid. Everywhere I go, use me, Lord. And he has every day, everywhere. I remember praying, God, I know I'm not that good looking, but give me a very pretty wife. And he did. Gave me Jennifer. He blinded her. Thank the Lord. I think she's still blind today. I remember 10 years ago praying and coming to the city of Round Rock and God began to put, Lord, establish a church, God. It's going to serve the city that's going to give them life. And what, 10 years later, here we are. Prayer. Lord, give us a piece of property. Lord, give us the nations. God, help us with the persecuting. You realize that all of a sudden we do not pray what we want anymore, that we pray the will and the purpose and the plan of God because you got new desires. New desires come in there. You desire for your neighbors to get saved. You desire for people to come to Christ. You desire to make live a life that matters to God. And let me tell you, there is no greater joy than walking in the plan and the purpose of God and looking at your life and saying, wow, God is moving. He's answering prayer. That's one of the ways that you know you're walking with God, that you look and you're like, wow, God is moving in a way that I can't even some of the biggest answers were the ones that went unanswered. I shared with you some of those last week. You don't understand at the time, but today you can see clearly how God responded with silence because he wants what's best for you. See, as I close this message, I want you to know this, that God wants you to be assured of your salvation. Are you sure of your salvation? See, the gospel is the only religion that produces humility and confidence at the same time. It produces humility because we're in a worse state than we can ever imagine. We are desperately in need of God. We are sinful, but we are more loved than we can ever imagine. That the greater of the universe come and died for us than we can ever comprehend. 
So have you believed in Jesus? Have you repented? Are you rested in Christ? Are you full of humility that you can't believe that you're saved? But confidence and realizing, man, my salvation, it's no longer in me. It's no longer in my works. It's in Him. When everybody bow your head. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.